electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Stocks on track to break their longest weekly losing streak in two decades. How sustainable is the bounce? Is one name in particular holding the key to that key question? We'll explain. Of course, we'll debate it with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And back with me on set, Jenny Harrington. Uh, also uh, with us today for our A Block is Anastasia Amoroso, iCapital Chief Investment Strategist. It's good to have everybody with us. It's nice to see you in the house. Jenny, there's the markets. i uh, got a nice day going on here. The Dow is uh, 32,612. That's uh, almost 500 points. Uh, Carl just said S&P now halfway between 4,000 and 4,100. Nice day developing there. NASDAQ with the biggest jump of all, 259 points. That's two and a quarter percent, 277. The note, uh, the 10-year note, that's the yield. Uh, Jenny Harrington, right here in the house for the first time. So how do you feel about this move? As I said, we're, we're going to break this losing streak, mm-hmm. it looks like, right? We've been down eight straight weeks in a row on the Dow. We've been down seven straight weeks on the S&P and the NASDAQ. It's sort of been a nauseating decline to watch. Mm-hmm. Are we turning the tide in any way? I think we probably have. So you know me. I've been pretty unenthusiastic for a really long time, like more than a year I've been unenthusiastic. And I would say I'm enthusiastic now. I'm feeling pretty good. We've done a lot of work in the last few months. The valuation of the S&P 500 has gone from 21 and a half times to 16 times, 16 mm-hmm. and a half times. That is a ton of hard work that's gotten done. Even if it declines more, Maybe we go down to 14 and a half times. I don't know that that's likely, but that's only two more multiple points of contraction. Also, as I've been thinking about all of the things that have dragged the market down over the past earnings season announcement, it's been major negative, n- negative announcements. Amazon, uh, Walmart, all of these. We're almost done with earnings season. So I think either we're done and we rally or we bump along, but I strongly suspect that the worst of it's done. All right. Also, adding to my enthusiasm is I am comfortable and confident buying new companies right now, which is another thing I haven't been for quite some time. Interesting. And we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I mean, stocks are at the highs of the day. Let's let's note that, uh, Jason Snipe. Is it time to be more, as Jenny says, enthusiastic? So I think we can be. I think uh, when I look at the Fed minutes from from this week, and you know the the theme that re- that resonates with me is kind of peak inflation and peak Fed, right? So I think really what the street has taken away from the commentary is that the Fed is going to be data dependent. They're definitely going to move in June. They'll definitely move in July, and then we're going to take a look and see what's going on. And to Jenny's point. The, the street has done a lot of the work. The market has done a lot of the work. If you look at the multiple, as she already mentioned, at 16 times S&P from 21, I mean, that, that's a lot of work. You look at the bond market and what it's already done. So I think this is an opportunity to leg into some names that have been beaten down. Obviously, the market has been down, but it's nice to be on with some green on the street. And I think there will be some opportunities, especially with companies with free cash flow, 
um, you know, and obviously pricing power in this market, yeah. I think, are names to look at here. I mean, it is, uh, it, it is amazing, Doc, uh, how the mood changes when there's green on the screen for a handful of days. Everybody all of a sudden sounds a little bit more positive on, on things, even though I'm not sure what's changed all that much. But nonetheless, let, let's go with this for a little bit. City says it's time to buy the dip. Now, they may be more enthusiastic about Europe and the EMs over the U.S., um, but nonetheless, is it time to put money to work in the market, Doc? Well, um, I think we're probably within 2 to 5%, Scott, of, uh, you know, whatever the tradable bottom is. And most people, I'm sure virtually everybody on the panel would agree, that you don't want to time the market to that extent. If you think you can really wait until you finally get that capitulatory bottom, um, you may very well miss it. Um, and by the way, uh, I think right now, uh, and people feeling better is because of what the Fed was talking about yesterday, Scott. Uh, the, Jenny's right, the, and so is Jason. The market has done a lot of the real hard work for the Fed here because they've both beat up stocks and the bond market has, you know, jumped interest rates. But now that is starting to reverse. Interest rates have come back down pretty dramatically, really. Given what uh, is likely to be coming our way here in the June meeting, we're going to see another 50 basis point move. But why are you not seeing that scaring the market? Because they've already priced it in, Scott. So the question after that June meeting will be how soon uh, into the next meeting do they start talking about maybe 25 will be enough rather than 50. And that's, I think, part of what the market's reacting to here. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, you mentioned bonds. I mean, maybe the bid in bonds uh, has helped soothe the market in, in some respects. You bet. Too. Uh, mm -hmm. Anastasia, you're advising your clients to buy the dip, not trying to call a bottom, but nonetheless, you see what's going on. And, and what are you telling people? Well, first of all, I would agree with Jenny and the sentiment here that there's a few things to be encouraged by. And the first one of them is just in the last 48 hours, it seems like we're starting to get an adjustment and attitude from the Fed that maybe they're willing to be a little bit more patient and moderate the pace of rate increases once we get through the next couple of meetings. So that's really, really critical because the market fear that the Fed is going to continue to hike into a slowdown and generate a 70s kind of scenario. But if they're not, maybe this doesn't end up being a late cycle recession and a crash landing. Maybe this ends up being a soft landing and a mid-cycle pause. And if that's the case, then the stocks are viable from these levels. So the magic about 16 and a half times multiple that Jenny mentioned is that that's what the multiple on the S&P was before the pandemic, when the Fed funds rate was at two and a half, two and a quarter percent. So that might actually be our fair multiple, Scott. And I think it's interesting that the stocks have been holding this 3,900 that you and I talked about on overtime. They've been holding this level and rebounding off of it. So, yes, I think for investors, I'm not saying, you know, trade for the next 5% over the next couple of months, but I'm saying for investors who are looking more long term, the time you want to buy stocks is when it feels terrible to do so, when there's a lot of uncertainty and when the multiples are lower. And if we look at the multiples, if you're buying a 22 times multiple, historically, you probably have not made money on a one year forward basis or even a five year forward basis. But if you're buying at 16 times multiple, that's a different story. Historically, one year forward returns have been double digits. Mm. So, Josh, I mean, do you, do you think that's in part what this is, uh, maybe easing of the fears that the Fed's going to go too heavy? Because, I mean, Jeremy Siegel was on with me 
on, on overtime the other day. And remember, this is a guy who's been pounding the table on inflation and the Fed's going to need to do uh, a lot and maybe even more than the market thinks it's going to do. And now he's done a 180 and says, now maybe the Fed's going to go too hard into a slowing economy, as Anastasia said. Maybe the minutes have made people feel better. I mean, I don't know. What's your read? What's, what's your take the temperature, if you will, uh, of the market right now? I think we've had enough wealth destruction so that we are finally seeing demand destruction literally all over the economy. And the market is picking up on that. The stagflation people are going to look a little bit ridiculous if they don't let that go. There's really no such thing as long-term stagflation. You could have temporary stagflation. And if geopolitics are involved, that would give you the, the plausible scenario where we have high prices but a crashing economy. But that sort of thing can never last. And now we're getting confirmation. This morning we learn that demand for gasoline has just hit the lowest level since 2013, X, the pandemic year 2020. That's notable. Why is it notable? Prices at the pump are up 50% year over year. At a certain point, it changes the way people behave and they stop doing the things they were doing with their cars. We're hitting that right now. We just saw pending home sales fall off a cliff, down 16% in the Northeast from March to April. From a seasonality perspective, that sounds backwards. That doesn't make any sense. Why are they worse in April than March? Very simple. Mortgage rates at five and a quarter versus 3.1% in February. That'll do it. So you're starting to see that everywhere, right? You're starting to see the dollar generals and the dollar trees of the world say, hey, all of a sudden we have all these new customers. I wonder where they came from. We're starting to see Macy's talk about people buying clothing again as though they might actually have to show up for work. These things are what the Fed has been waiting for. The conflict in Russia and Ukraine is what put this off. This would have been happening already already. So I think it's been really tough to separate out what's temporary because of China and Russia and lockdowns and wars, and what's the actual inflation story on the ground. And I think the market is sniffing out that the stagflation thing was never really going to be a permanent condition. Um, and so now the question is, can the Fed really turn the U.S. consumer on and off like a video game? Meaning, can we really engineer this soft landing and not have the consumer go full-blown into uh, defensive mode, rece recession mindset. I don't know. It's never happened before. We'll see. Um, but that's really what the market is trying to figure out now. Because if we're not going to have a recession, but we have prices moderating all over the economy, mm -hmm. that's a great setup for S&P 500 components trading at 15 to 20 times earnings. I mean, that works really well for dividend stocks, uh, for REITs, etc. The the consumer appears to be holding up fairly well. I mean, I, I know that there are always instances that you can look at and suggest that it is not. But William Sonoma, Nordstrom, well, Macy's, may, right? Well, and and maybe we're not ready to write off that story yet, because if you listen to William Sonoma, Nordstrom, and Macy's, as you said, even if you listen to Brian Cornell, I mean, Target's issues were not related to a slowdown in the consumer. Cornell said that as much on the day of the earnings report when the stock fell out of bed and then hit his head on the floor. 
You want to say something? Oh, he's got shipping so, costs. He's got labor costs. Yeah. That's yeah. how it is. So, yeah. Josh, I want to take a different spin on your demand destruction. I don't think there's demand destruction. I can't believe it. I think there's demand reallocation. And that gets to Scott's point exactly, which is, you know, last week when I was on, I said something about the consumer's really strong still. And there's still a ton of money in consumer pockets, and I got beat up for that. But what we're seeing this week is that's actually true. So you're right. People might be driving less. Maybe they're buying it stuff at Dollar, Dollar General instead of... I don't know, wherever they were buying it before, but people are still spending. And I do not think the Fed does or can turn the consumer on or off. So you're just seeing a reallocation of those dollars. Also, just as a portfolio manager, I don't worry about the Fed that much because I believe that the Fed will be flexible and will act as appropriate and that they'll bob and weave as they go. So I think from an investment perspective, the way to approach this isn't to say, hey, the consumer's falling apart, there's demand destruction, but rather to say, where are their dollars going now? And what we know is their dollars now are going to different places than they've gone to in the past two years. So it, it's not a matter of the Fed you know, being flexible or not. The Fed is going to be flexible mm-hmm. based on whatever it sees. The issue is that they really have a, they can control the, the situation. Sure, they can be flexible. That doesn't mean that they're not going to still overshoot, put the economy into a recession, and then are they going to be flexible if they do that? Of course. But that suggests that they have, like, they're just their finger on the pulse of everything, which they don't, and that they can control everything to a T, which they can't. Right. And it all goes just perfectly smoothly. Maybe it doesn't have to be so smooth. I, I don't know. Now, we're, we're looking for signs and signals of a bottom, right? Are, are, that's generally speaking what we're, we're trying to do. I wonder if a certain stock, as I said at the very top, I didn't reveal the name, but I will now, NVIDIA, is trying to tell a story. And it's from, maybe it's from the Lee Cooperman book of investing, if you will. I want you to remember what Lee told me in overtime a few weeks back uh, on how bottoms form. Listen. The best evidence of a bottom is a company comes out with disappointing earnings, the stock opens up down and closes the day unchanged up. Okay, uh, NVIDIA was down, and it was down under 153. Pull up the stock now. It's at 178, Josh. Maybe these are those baby steps you need to take to be able to declare that either you are forming a bottom or you've bottomed, not making a call, obviously, that we have, but you've got to hang your hat on something at some point. I think it's very positive that NVIDIA was able to give, some would call it weaker guidance. I probably would euphemistically refer to it as realistic guidance. And the stock was able to erase a 12% sell-off in the after hours last night and go green today. Um, I'm not going to be on at 4 o'clock with you tonight, so we'll see where it closes. But I do agree with what Mr. Cooperman had to say. I think the same thing can be said. By the way, with NVIDIA, though, they, uh, they're talking about a, a $15 billion share buyback additional sure. by the end of next year. Or Dick's Sporting Goods. They spent goods. $2.1 billion on, on buybacks in the first quarter. So look, that's at, big. look at Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know. Dick, Dick's got, I don't know what, what Dick's Sporting Goods got down to, um, but it, now it's up almost 7%. I mean, so there are stories look, that well, you can so, try and get behind. Yeah, so, so I, I see this in a few names in my portfolio. Um, one, one, of them, one of them is Dutch Bros., this is a stock that opened up at 19, down 45% the day after they reported. It made no sense. No sense. Revenue was on fire. Demand was on fire. One problem in the quarter. Dairy prices were up 25%. Does anybody really believe that's going to be a recurring uh, dairy price growth rate? Like, obviously not. 
we, we would be making we, we would be genetically engineering cows at that rate. So the stock, I was able to buy some at 22. I said, I don't know when this thing recovers. Maybe it's it sucks the rest of the year. But at 22, a $55 stock, I'm a buyer. Now it's 33. There's no rhyme or reason to that kind of activity. It's just a function of people looking at a headline number and not being able to wrap their head around this idea that bet the same bad news probably doesn't strike twice, three times, four times. So with an NVIDIA situation, they clear the deck. They tell you, all right, here's the situation. This is a little bit softer. We're prepared for it. It's going to be fine. Talk to us at the end of the year and we'll worry about 23 in 23. That's the way management should be speaking to investors, and that's why you have the result that you have today in the form of a green stock on quote-unquote weaker guidance. Sure, sure. And, and Dr. J, uh, you bought uh, NVIDIA. I, I guess you bought it right after the, the numbers came out. You, you tell me specifically. No, I bought it when Pete bought it yesterday, Scott. Oh, into so the number. both of us bought yeah, Pete bought it at about 165. I paid more, like 167. Closed 169, like you and Josh said, traded mm. down 12%. Screams to the upside today. I'm short the 175s in June, along with the 180s in June against it, Scott, because that provided a lot of downside protection. But look at these numbers. Again, you're both right that the guidance was a little either realistic, Josh, or uh, soft, one or the other. However, gaming revenue Both. was up 31%. <laughs> Data centers were up 83%. You know, the, the regular numbers that they declared were blowout numbers. Uh, to, to your point, I agree. Going forward, the guidance soft or realistic, however we want to put it. But these numbers, and the CEO cited that, were absolute blowout. And I think they're going to continue to be at 165 or 167. I think this thing was a gift. If anybody bought it in the after hours last night, which I did not, but if anybody bought it in the after hours, you know, my, my hat's off to you. That was the buy of the year in yeah. the after hours the, last night. The other side of the coin is, is the one that Jason has in his pocket. Uh, maybe he has a few, a few coins in his pocket from the trimming that he did of NVIDIA uh, earlier in the week ahead of the number. Maybe you want to have it back, maybe you don't, but talk to me about it. Yeah, Scott, I mean, Joss and, and John laid it out really strong. I've, I've been an NVIDIA bull for quite some time. I've owned it since 2016, so we've, we've actually never trimmed it. So this had to be, we had to move on at some point. You know, so for us, this is kind of portfolio management, prudent portfolio management, maybe not so prudent because it's taken us some time to do it. but. To John's point, I mean, the, the numbers were blowout. They're, I mean, innovation is their middle name. Data center was great. Gaming was great. And what I would call the guide was predictable. It was a predictable guide. Slowdown in, in China, shutdowns in China, I should say, and everything that's going on in Ukraine. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. This is a core name for us, but, you know, it's, it's kind of got out of got out of our, our hands in terms of how much it's run, so we had to trim some. So now, that, that's really the story there. Now, Doc, just back to you for a second. I mean, I, I said yesterday in overtime that I thought that this was as good of a referendum on the current state of bigger cap tech as there is mm -hmm. um, right now. Now, the valuations come down uh, a good amount. The market cap is down to, I don't know, was it, I think, $400 billion and and something a little bit higher than mm -hmm. that now. But... Um, does this give you more comfort into those types of stocks? 
it's not, you know, it, it wasn't that far from a trillion dollar market cap company when it was at its at its peak. So what about that trade? And then, Anastasia, I want you to weigh in on that larger cap tech trade, too. But, Doc, do you take anything from that as a true referendum for the current state of that trade? I, yes, Scott. Um, I, I do think it's very similar in some ways to Apple, not because of their business, but because they have so many levers to pull. I mean, when you look at that, like I said, gaming and data centers, the, you know, the soft number that we didn't talk about, of course, was not data centers, but, you know, quite frankly, mining, which two years ago, all we were talking about was mining for this company. You know, oh, these chips for mining Bitcoin and the like, they're just exploding. Well, you know, look at all the different ways that they can make money over there. So the fact that during lockdowns they did well on gaming and they did well after the lockdowns in gaming, as you might expect, because this is a pretty addictive thing. And then those data center numbers, uh, like I say, so many levers to pull. I really appreciated that. And I don't disagree at all with your characterization that um, this is a referendum on some of those big tech names that do have more than just, they're more than just a one and done. They have three or four different levers that they can pull. And, uh, you know, that was really what made me feel yeah. good after the close, even though it was down when you were on last night. I mean, I say it, Anastasia, because the timing of the report. It's, if it was a month ago, maybe it'd be a different story. But given what's happened to the NASDAQ and given the fact that those larger stocks in the NASDAQ, NVIDIA included, there's like eight of them that have accounted for like 60 percent of the NASDAQ's decline. Given the timing of the report, it makes it even more important. Yeah, I think it was a very important statement from NVIDIA. And you see this bifurcation that's going on in big tech right now. There's clearly a slowing of the consumer. And that's part of the reason why we saw some of the slowing in gaming, for example. But the enterprise spending, the cloud spending, the data center, the networking spending, all of that still remains exceptionally strong. And so when you think about what pockets do you like or not like within big tech, I would probably shy away from some of the consumer oriented games because I uh, stocks rather because I agree the consumer slowdown, I think, is just getting started. It's underway and we're in the thick of it. So I'm not sure I want to go there. But when you look at some of the enterprise and cloud spending, it is clearly, clearly still ongoing. So I want to be buying some of those enterprise oriented tech names. And, and Scott, I'll just mention this. There's several ways to buy this. You know, you could just go long and, you know, buy the stock and call it a day. But I think the option markets are giving you some really oppor interesting opportunities to be smart about how you deploy some of that cash. So pick a basket of some of the favorite uh, tech stocks, again, enterprise geared, and see if selling puts on them could potentially make sense. So have we reached the absolute bottom? We don't know yet, but if you sell the put, if you monetize the rich volatility, you collect that premium, and if the stock goes down, you get put into it, but you put into it at a lower price. So I think that's one strategy that investors can employ. The other one, there's actually a really interesting relationship going on between how relatively inexpensive puts are relative to calls. Mm -hmm. So you could actually sell an out-of-the-money call, and you can use that premium to buy yourself some protection. So this way, you're not just long the stock outright without any sort of downside buffer, but you can actually use that option strategy to be a little bit more thoughtful about it. I appreciate you being with us today. Anastasia Amoroso joining us. Uh, by the way, as we go to break, just noting Apple today got as low as 137.14. 
It's now 144, so that is helping as well. As 140 has been an interesting line in the sand of late for that stock, so we'll keep our eye on that throughout the remainder of the hour. Coming up, a beaten down, is beaten down biotech a buy? Up next, we're joined by an investor who specializes in that sector, his first appearance on CNBC. He'll give us his best stock ideas right now. Plus, John has unusual activity coming up. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, new high of the day for the S&P right there, uh, 4,059 is what you just saw a moment ago. The biotech sector, it's down 24% year to date. Is there opportunity within that sell-off? Let's ask our next guest. Dr. Rod Wong is the managing partner and CIO of RTW Investments. It's a firm that specializes in the space. It's also his first time on CNBC. Welcome. It's good to meet you and good to have you on. Hey, Scott. Nice to meet you. So the valuations have certainly come down. Are they low enough? Yeah, let me just try to put it in context for you. I mean, this you said what this year's performance was, but since February of last year, it's been a 70% drop if you look at like some of the small cap heavy indices like the Russell 2000 Biotech. So now it's really second only to the genomics bubble 20 years ago. Uh, valuations that you're talking about, the, the lowest levels we've seen really next to 2009. I personally think the most stunning stat is that nearly a third of publicly traded biotech. So it's almost 200 companies are actually trading for less than the cash on their balance sheets. Mm. I mean, w- was there a significant amount of pull forward d- during the pandemic? And I mean, how, how do we look at that in a space like a biotech? We, we've spoken about it in terms of other sectors that have obviously experienced that. But what about this one? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think there was. And it's one, though, of only kind of a longer list of issues that the sector has been going through. When I kind of think about it, I break it out into what happened last year and what happened this year. So last year is a lot of sector specific things. There's that COVID pull forward, right, when other sectors became uninvestable and the money came into our space. But, you know, there are a lot of other things, too. When people were getting excited about biotech, you had some excesses, you had too many IPOs then some of those young companies started to have setbacks. You also had FDA dealing with COVID, right? So you had some performance issues at FDA. 
And then that rolled into this year where, you know, biotech is a growth sector, right? So we're suffering from all the things that you're talking about all the time, like inflation and rates that's impacting every growth sector. Let's talk about some of your your picks. You you do have three uh, for us today. Let's start with number one. It's $17 billion market cap, Argenix, A-R-G-X. Tell us about it, why you like it. Yeah, you bet. So this is the the biggest company of the three. They're launching their first product. It's called Vivgard. So Vivgard, I mean, it's really kind of a first of its kind. It's the first drug that can potently lower what we call pathogenic antibodies, the kind of antibodies that cause a lot of autoimmune diseases. Um, It's approved for one disease so far, myasthenia gravis, and they're launching into that and getting it out to patients. But the more important thing is that there's really a pretty long list of other autoimmune diseases that they'll be studying the drug in over the next few years. Avidity Biosciences, uh, the ticker's RNA. Um, It's an RNA company, uh, obviously. Uh, The market cap there is smaller. It's $634 million, above the threshold that we're we're comfortable talking about it. But nonetheless, for all of you who are watching, you know, it's a smaller smaller cap certain uh, stock. Yeah, for sure. No, we like Avidity because it's a good example of the kind of innovation that you're seeing in some of these new technologies, right? RNA is one of them. And, you know, I'm sure your audience obviously knows all about RNA because of the success with COVID vaccines, right? Um, So Avidity's innovation, though, is to link these RNAs with antibodies so that you can deliver the drug to tissues where you previously haven't been able to reach. So in their case, specifically to muscle. So they're building a pipeline basically um, of drugs that are targeting genetic muscular dystrophies. And there's a number of those that don't have you know, any available therapies for those patients. The, the last one we have is Rocket Pharmaceuticals. Um, you are the chairman of the board. Um, without yeah. sounding like you're talking your own book because of your position with the company, can you tell us, and it's again, it's a $650 million market cap uh, firm as, as well. Can you, can you tell us why we should keep our eye on this one? Yeah, no, for sure. Full disclosure, I am the chairman. Um, it is, you know, one of the largest independent gene therapy companies right now. It's focused on uh, genetic diseases. You know, your audience probably knows, right, that gene therapy has been going through a bunch of growing pains. The most important is these safety issues that have come up, um, which are really, you know, surrounding the immune responses to the viruses that are used to deliver these genes, right? Um, Now, despite that, gene therapy is not science fiction. You already have approved blockbuster drug for a rare disease. Um, And rocket strategy is similar to what happened there. We're focused on really high unmet need situations, um, you know, basically diseases with no available therapy, like two of the ones that we're pursuing, Fanconi anemia and and Dannon disease. Uh, One of our investment committee members, Josh Brown, uh, has a question for you, and he has had his eye uh, on this space as well, which you have called a fat pitch. Josh, what's your question? Yeah, hi, Rod. I'm curious to ask you about something probably a lot of our viewers are excited about, um, but there doesn't seem to be much in the way of news lately, which is CRISPR and the related publicly traded companies that are working on uh, somatic cell CRISPR therapies and uh, gene editing. And, and what, like, what can we expect from that space this year? Are, are any of these stocks buys or trades? Um, what, what's your take? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, CRISPR is one of those new technologies that's really captured the public's imagination. And last year, they showed this tremendous proof of concept that it works, right, that you can actually safely genetically edit um, uh, patients, uh, uh, the genome. So we're actually less excited about CRISPR, though, as a potential for 
new medicines in the near term because there are other techs like RNA, for example, like gene therapy that are just much more mature and just are things that patients are more likely um, wanting to reach for sooner, right? Um, editing the genome, that's, that's not a small ask, right? So the bar for those in terms of actually getting drugs to patients is going to be high. Great having you on. I look forward to doing this again soon. Rod Wong, we'll see yeah, you again soon. Lot, That's Scott. Dr. Rod Wong uh, joining us there. RTW Investments, the managing partner in the CIO. The headlines now with Christina Partsinevelos. Hi, Christina. Hi, Scott. So here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Former President Donald Trump and his children, Ivanka and Don Jr., must testify under oath for a deposition of as part of a New York civil investigation. New York Attorney General Letitia James is investigating how the Trump family real estate business or the real estate business valued its holdings. Actor Kevin Spacey is being charged with sexually assaulting three men in the United Kingdom between 2005 and 2013. Spacey was previously removed from his starring role in House of Cards in 2017 after several people made sexual assault and misconduct allegations against him. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stite signing the country's most restrictive abortion ban into law. The new state law takes effect immediately and prohibits nearly all abortions after fertilization abortions in the state will only be able to take place if the life of the pregnant person is at risk or in cases of rape or incest. More products are being pulled from store shelves in connection to a Jif peanut butter salmonella recall. Certain products made with the peanut butter could now potentially be contaminated. The initial outbreak is linked to a Kentucky manufacturing facility and spans a dozen states so far. Halftime, we'll be right back after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Highs of the day uh, for stocks. Unusual activity. Doc, what do you have for us today? Let's kick it off with Marqueta. MQ is the symbol here, Scott. Um, they're buying the July 11 calls. Big numbers here. 10,000 of them in a single print. Um, that's a million share equivalent. I jumped on that. I'll probably be in it about a month. Second one, Nikola, N-K-L-A. They're also buying a lot. And by a lot, I mean a ton. 50,000 
of the July 8 calls. So both of these are Julys. Both of them I'll probably hold about a month, but this one, 50,000, that's 5 million share equivalent. Third and final, HYG. This has just been devastated, the uh, uh, high yield bond market. Um, but people are betting that it makes a big comeback. Also July, the July 79s with it trading just at that number this morning. I'm in all three of these trades, Scott. And like I said, I'll probably hold them about one month. All right, Doc, thank you very much for that. Hey, check out this mystery thank chart. You. It is a retailer that is seeing nice gains today and getting an upgrade from one firm. We will tell you what it is and we will debate it in our call of the day. Tonight, tonight 6 o'clock Eastern, tune in for another CNBC special report. This one with Brian Sullivan, Inflation USA. We will be right back. Let's talk about some of the moves that the committee is making. Jenny, I'm going to start with you. You said at the top of the show that you were super enthusiastic, that you're looking to buy stocks. And I want to talk about when you sold. Uh, and maybe you sold it and bought something else. And you can tell me if you did. But you sold H&R Block. You were up 70%. Right. So I, I feel you on that. Uh, but tell me why. So... I needed money to buy a new position. I've been keeping a really low cash position, and so I looked at the portfolio and I said, what has limited upside from here? And in that case, it was H&R Block, which I bought about a year ago, 70% mm -hmm. return, 5% dividend that I collected over that time. It is still trading at only eight times earnings, but I think the upside for compared to what I want to buy in its place is limited. And what's interesting about what I'm buying, and I, I'll tell you as soon as I can, but it's in the process. Okay, of you can't do it yet, okay. No, no, All right. but it's, it's very similar to the last ones that I bought, which were that Easterly Government Properties and the American Eagle, where this is a stock that is operating phenomenally, best earnings call I've ever heard from the company, but it's down because it got dragged down with, with the entire sector. Okay. So that's where I keep saying there's these gems, you just need to sift through. But I needed the cash, and it did hurt me to sell it. Uh, okay, block. well, you, you, you tell us when you put the cash to work, okay. when you're able to do that, and I respect the fact, obviously, you. that you can't do it today. <laughs> Dr. J, you bought more Teladoc. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it softened up a little bit again, Scott. Let me buy it again cheaper. Virtually every target, including Goldman Sachs's target, is nearly double where the stock is trading. And I just think telehealth, I mean, uh, the visits to the site were up, I think, 35 or uh, I guess 35 percent year over year. Um, I think this is here to stay. So getting this one back down at the IPO price that you and I talked about about, you know, three weeks to a month ago was a gift. This was also a gift. So I love buying bargains, and uh, this is one I intend to hold for quite a while, Scott. You got a take on this one, uh, Josh, on Teladoc? I guess I would just ask uh, Dr. J. I agree that telehealth is here for a while. I was in this stock a long time ago, um, and I just wonder, is there anything they do that can't be replicated by every large insurance company um, or by Amazon who are working on this exact thing right now for their own employees? Like, what makes Teladoc special in terms of being able to see a health professional on the computer? Um, I guess, Josh, just that they already have a big international footprint um, in the space. Um, you know, for Amazon, as good as they are at doing what they do and disrupting, um, I think this one is one where they have a significant foothold. They're not going to have, uh, you know, uh, a monopoly on the space. We both know that. But I think that foothold and the comfort level that people have mm -hmm. 
with the way that they handle these visits, obviously online, you know, not having to go into the office and so forth, is a game changer and one that will benefit probably both them and whoever competes, whether it's Amazon, insurance companies, or anybody else. But that big footprint is why I like it so much. So John. maybe no moat, per se, but early mover advantage to their advantage. Doc, I, I hear you on that, too. All right, Snowflake shares, they yes, are sir. lower. They're still lower, but this is another stock that you've got to keep an eye on today because it's trying to tell that story that we spoke about earlier. These stocks that have perceived bad earnings, they go down, and then they work their way back flat or up. Again, from the Lee Cooperman School of Investing, we're back right after this. All right, there's your market picture. Uh, we're pretty much in the same spot, right around the highs of the day. 4,061, I keep pointing out the S&P, because remember when we started the show, we were about, as Carl was saying at the end of Tech Check, we're about halfway between 4,000 and 4,100 on the S&P. So we've picked up 10 or so points uh, since then. Uh, S&P's better than 2%. NASDAQ's trying to move closer to a 3% gain uh, on the day as well. Talk about shares of Snowflake. Mentioned they're trying to move positive, uh, and that's a really interesting stock to keep your eye on. Um, the numbers were pretty good. They did say that some customers are spending more cautiously because of the uncertain macro environment. Just to give you a, a, a look, I mean, by the way, I mean, multiples on growth stocks, as, as all of you know at this point, this one included, and maybe this one was towards the top of the list, were way too high. Way too high. So they had to come down to earth. Way too high. And this one is now positive. Uh, revenues up 85% year on year, 65% uh, gross margin, product revenue 84% up uh, year on year. I, I got a comment from Brad Gerstner as well, big shareholder uh, in Snowflake, as, as all of you know from his appearances on this show. Uh, he told me, quote, by our read, Snow is now trading for a free cash multiple between Atlassian and ServiceNow for a company growing more than twice as fast. So that's the latest from Gerstner. Uh, Jason Snipe, do you have a thought on this? I know you don't own Snow specifically. You are in the space, and I'm, I'm wondering what you make of not only what you're watching unfold on the screen right here with the specific stock move, which I, I think is, is indicative of, of where things stand right now, but what's your take? Yeah, Snowflake is obviously, I mean, it's a price-to-sales stock. It's, I mean, the revenue growth is really strong. But, I mean, in this market, I, obviously, a lot of these names have felt the pain, you know, and the multiples have come in. But, you know, I, I like CRM here. CRM is a name that I own, you know, still trading at a premium to the market. But that name has also been cut in half. But that, that's where I would be, and that, that's kind of the name. If you don't own it, I'd be looking to leg in here. Josh, how about this Snowflake uh, quarter? Yeah, God bless. This stock uh, in December of 2020 was trading at a fairly reasonable price-to-sales ratio of 175 times <laughs> revenue. So, so <laughs> now it's now it's not that. I think strategically, this is one of the best placed, one of the best situated companies in the world uh, for for the way that the web is being used and will be used going forward. Um, but. It's a tough environment for stocks like these, and a lot of funds that are blowing up own them, and those are your potential sellers into good news. Like, this was a big Melvin holding. It's an ARC holding. It's like, it's, it's just a tough, tough space in the market to be. So, of course, I don't want anyone to lose money. I hope it's done going down. 
I just look at the trend line and and I couldn't tell you that I can see that. Yeah, uh, it's gonna take it's gonna take some work to be able to say this. That, that's it. That's sure. the worst it'll get. I don't know. Opened at 117, got as low as 112, and you can see where it is right now at north of, of 133. So we'll keep our eye on Snowflake uh, as well as it has moved positive in the last couple of minutes. Costco shares, they too are higher. They report earnings today. We'll give you the trade next. Right, highs of the day for stocks. There's Costco. Highs of the day for that stock, too. Up five, uh, almost 6%, rallying ahead of the company's earnings due out in overtime today. Jason Snipe, you own that name. Yeah, I, I really like Costco. And I think if you're, if you're looking to Walmart and Target as a read-through as far as what Costco would do, they're, they're very different businesses, very different companies, and obviously in the retail space, but very different companies. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing what gasoline sales will look like. Uh, annuity, the annuity membership business and how that's continuing to grow. They've raised their uh, dividend about 14%. So I think foot traffic will be up. I think this is a good value here. You know, still a little expensive at 35 times forward, but I think it's still an opportunity. I like it. I'm long. Yeah, the, these, the, these reports, so sorry, Jay. Doc, the, these reports, you own calls, I think. Uh, they become all the more important, right? On the heels of, I yeah, mean, not just because of where we are now, but after what you got from Walmart and then Target, you, you got to hear from Costco now to see if they're having some of the same uh, issues. And then, as, as Jason said, because of the subscription annuity business, as he described it, uh, you want to hear on, the, on what's taking place there, too. Yeah, you want to hear them holding on to those executive memberships, Scott. Uh, I haven't seen a Costco that wasn't backed up at both the gas stations, to Jason's point, and it's a good one, um, as well as, of course, all those people coming in the doors. So. 12% is a number that I've seen time and time again as far as sales, and I think they'll top $52 billion. Um, this is uh, one that should just move to the upside nicely. I'm staying long. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades on the other side. I hope you'll join me in overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern, Costco earnings. Don't want to miss those. Don't want to miss seeing what the stock does. Value investor Scott Black will be with me. Stephanie Link will be with me. Dan Suzuki will be with me as well. Looking forward to that. I want to show you a couple of stocks before we get final trades. Number one, NVIDIA. That stock is, uh, we'll call it the highs of the day. It's up by nearly 6%. So a nice comeback there. As we explore whether the market is trying to put in or has put in, perhaps, a short-term bottom. I don't think anybody's trying to declare the bottom, but maybe a short-term bottom. Snowflake, stock number two, down decidedly earlier today. Uh, worked his way back, turned positive during our show within the last 10 minutes, and it is still sticking there. Final trade, Jenny Harrington in the house. You go first. New York Community Bank, an oldie but goodie, a 6.9% yield, and I think dragged down with the small cap stocks more than its own merits. It's a great company operating well. Okay. Josh Brown. Uh, congrats to John and Pete for pulling the trigger long NVIDIA yesterday. I'm long, but I didn't buy any. Maybe I should have. Uh, and rest in peace, Ray Liotta, one of the greatest mm. of all time. Yeah, yeah, that, that is sad news to see. Uh, on the NVIDIA thing, uh, Doc, I'll, I'll go to you now. I, I said to Pete, uh, gutsy, gutsy, gutsy. And I think I said it three times on purpose <laughs> for the emphasis of, of doing that <laughs> on that kind of a stock before the number came out. Doc, what's your final? 
Yeah, and, and your foresight, Scott, with calling this also um, potentially a game changer or at least, uh, you know, uh, fundamentally something that could move the market. Uh, I bought Mo, M.O. Altria, uh, June 55 calls. Okay. Uh, Jason Snipe. I like COWS ETF here. If you like free cash flow yield and short duration assets, this is a good one for you. It's up over 4% year to date. Okay. Uh, we are pretty much, we're at the highs of the day. Dow is about to crack a 600 point gain uh, or thereabouts. We'll see what transpires over the last three hours of the day. I will see you, of course, in the OT. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.